Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes, Buck Sanders, and Mike Ingersoll. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. We've got a football show to talk about. A lot of basketball shows have been going on, but if you've been on Tar Pit Premium message boards, you've certainly followed a plenty of football news, some recruiting uh, news that's broken over the last few days. Don Callahan and John Siegley handle all that on these podcasts, but we're going to talk about Mac Brown and the coaching staff. And just so you'll know off the top, we're not going to talk about Phil Longo and Jay Bateman because Buck and I did the Bateman show back in earlier in December, mid-December, and Buck, Jason, and John did a Phil Longo show around the same time frame. You could find those podcasts on our website. Go under the tab More on your mobile device or the three dots on your computer, find podcasts. They're all listed. A lot of great stuff there if you hadn't listened. Listen to all the podcasts. They're all there. Spreaker.com, iTunes, however you listen to your Inside Carolina podcast, it's all there. I say all that to say this. I'm going to start with you, Mike. We've got a star-studded cast, and I'm going to start with Mike Ingersoll. I want you to tell me, um, over the last month or so, of however long Mike Brown's been employed at North Carolina, What's his best hire, not including Bateman or Longo, as I've said, but best hire on his coaching staff for you um, since he's been in Chapel Hill? Well, it's 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 two coaches. Number one, it's Brian Hess, the strength and conditioning coach. Um, and I, I consider the strength staff maybe the most important hire of any new head coach that comes in because your strength and conditioning staff spends the most time with the players of any of the coaches or um, – um, individual like little mini staff so the offensive coaches and defensive coaches spend much less time as a staff with their players than the strength and conditioning coaches do um, so the that relationship with the players is extremely important you have to have a guy and uh, number one a guy who can put a staff together that's going to mesh with the players and number two a guy who's going to be able to spend that much time around the players keep them engaged keep their attention and keep their focus um, for the course of of months at a time um, especially in the dead period in the summertime. You know, that's going to be their number one connection to the coaching staff is the strength staff. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of times those, those strength coaches, assistant, those assistant strength coaches will actually help out with position drills in the summertime and things like that. So you have to have guys that not only understand the weight room and, uh, uh, you know, strength dynamics, but also understand football and can fill in when needed, for example, during that dead period. The second big coaching hire was actually a retention and it was Tommy Thigpen. And, you know, it was it was a big deal when Thig came back to Chapel Hill from a recruiting standpoint. Mac made a good decision in keeping him on, I'm sure, for recruiting, gave him a little promotion and title, and, uh, which I'm sure was to sweeten the pot to keep Thig to stay. But Thigpen has been an asset on the recruiting trail for us over the course now of several staffs. And, uh, and I, I expect that to continue with Mac Brown. So that was that was a good move for Mac. Um, further evidence that he knows what he's doing in recruiting because he knows the people to keep to make recruiting happen. Buck, I'll come to you after that. Now, when we talked about Matt Brown being hired, everybody liked that, or you and I liked it a lot. Jason Staples, who's not with us tonight, but we'll talk about this stuff with him down the road. He said Matt Brown's got to hire a good staff. And here we are, almost full. There's one last uh, vacancy to be confirmed. But your opinion, um, A, on, on how Matt Brown has done overall, but B, just like I asked Mike, uh, your favorite or your best hire on the staff? Well, to, to start off with, I would say looking at the staff in its entirety, I would grade his coordinator hires at, at least an A, if not an A- minus or A+, plus, however you want to characterize it. I think he did a really great job on his coordinator hires. I think he kind of got lucky with Phil Longo there at the end. Um, and uh, there for a little while, it looked like Jay Bateman wasn't going to be the defensive coordinator, uh, but he wound up being the defensive coordinator. Um, so I think he, he ended up maybe not where he started in terms of those searches, but I think he came out better um, than he would have 
um, had he gotten his first choice. His first choice at offensive coordinator was Cliff Kingsbury. So that wouldn't have worked that well. Uh, beyond that, uh, as far as a favorite hire, um, you know, I, I'm going to uh, switch up a little bit and kind of copy uh, Mike Ingersoll. Obviously, I would. Mike's such a bright guy. But uh, I'm going to go with a guy that's not really on our anybody's uh, visible list of the staff, but I'm going to go with um, A.J. Blue. Uh, not that he's the most critical member of the staff or is going to have the most responsibility. He's just a member of the strength and conditioning um, staff. But I think retaining him was a very smart thing uh, because he is very well liked among all the players. Uh, He's very well liked by his former teammates. Uh, I think he adds continuity. Mike spoke to uh, the importance of having someone in the in the weight room that the kids can identify with and can relate to and go to with uh, you know things totally unrelated to football and 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 seek some advice and counsel um, and, and I think AJ blue can fill that role and maybe I'd like to get Mike to speak to that a little bit more because I think he has more of a personal relationship with AJ than I do I just think that was an important thing to do. Yeah, Buck, I agree with that 100%. I'm glad he brought that up. Um, and, that, and that plays in with, you know, Brian Hess and the strength staff being such an important important hire uh, for Mac Brown. What comes along with that is the staff that comes with Brian Hess. And you're right, keeping A.J. on on the payroll was a very good idea. Number one, because he's built a little bit of a reputation um, amongst internally amongst the players, but he's also developing a reputation in the, in the college strength and conditioning industry. Um, AJ will be a head strength and conditioning coach one day. He knows his stuff. He's committed to this profession and he's very, very good at it. And because he's very, very good at it, he has the respect of, of, of the guys he's currently coaching. But I can tell you personally that he has the utmost undying respect uh, from the guys that he played with, uh, including myself. AJ was a guy that um, even when he was young, when he was a freshman, sophomore, he was much more mature. Um, he seemed much older than his, than his age would tell you. And uh, part of that's his upbringing. Part of it is just his general personality. AJ is a tough, he's a hard dude. And when he spoke, you listened. Um, I remember as a senior, EJ or, uh, AJ, excuse me, AJ was, was several years younger than me, but when AJ spoke, I listened. And I think that speaks volumes about him as a man, him as a player, um, the character that he brings, uh, both as a as as a player, as a coach, and as a person, uh, guys respond to that. He's 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 again very well respected, um, very well regarded in in the in the building, and now as we're seeing throughout the industry. And I think keeping him on board was a good move. It's you know you you made a point about uh, someone that guys can go to for counsel in the off season. I think that's a great point. It's one that I didn't consider, but it is now that I think back, it, it, I, I talked with my strength coaches about everything. I talked with coach Connors about stuff that had nothing to do with football. Brandon Simpson was one of those guys that we had, you know, I, I, I talked to those guys about all kinds of stuff and I, I leaned on them in certain times in, in, in my college life and my college career. So you're right. AJ provides, uh, that sort of support, that continuity, that familiar face, to help push Mac's message and the new coaching staff's message, it'll be coming out of the mouth of a guy that the players are comfortable with, that they know, and that they respect. Greg, go ahead and jump in. I I was going to go a different direction with you, but jump in on, on your thoughts on best hire and just sort of follow up Buck and Mike there. I think you have to to go with the guy that, that Mac Brown needed on staff uh, to kind of serve as a sounding board, and that's that's Tim Brewster. And I think a lot of us probably take him for granted, number one, because as soon as Mac was hired, I think we all assumed that Brewster would be his first phone call. And you know, without really any question, Brewster would return to coach with Mac. And I really think that when you look at their history, I mean, it goes all the way back to 1989, uh, the, the famous story about uh, Brewster, you know, begging to work as a unpaid volunteer on Mac's staff. Follows into Texas. What does he do at Texas? He recruits Vince Young, which leads to Mac Brown's national championship there at Texas in 2005. Um, and then from there, I mean, he goes uh, 
he goes to San Diego as a tight ends coach. And of course he's there a few years before that title game win for, for Mac. And who's he coach? And, uh, you know, Antonio Gates, who was a undrafted free agent. And so he coached him up into a pro bowl guy within two years uh, and got a lot of credit throughout the coaching ranks. Gets the head coaching job at Minnesota. Uh, it seemed like he kind of got ran out of there pretty quick, but he took them from one and 11 to, you know, uh, a couple of six and six seasons there before getting fired in 2010. So he's a guy that uh, has a ton of experience. He's a great recruiter. Mac Brown told us on the signing day press conference that he thinks Tim's probably the best recruiter in the country. Um, and he's he's got a lot of faith in what Tim can do. He's assistant head coach, associate head coach. And so definitely a guy that, that Mac needed uh, to kind of be there, to lean on, to bounce ideas off of. And so there's there's a lot of uh, unique pieces to how this staff was put together. A lot of, you know, Carolina guys, a lot of young guys that played for uh, you know Mac and have been around kind of you know, the the new uh, changes in, in football. Of course, Dre Bly is one of them. Tommy's still pretty pretty young, uh, and then of course you know Jay Bateman's a young guy as well. And then you've got the, the veterans, the, kind of the old heads, which I think are kind of key pieces too. So a very unique group. But I think I think Brewster there is is the most important hire. And when you factor in his his ability to coach as well as his ability to recruit, uh, that that was a critical pickup for Mac. I certainly agree there, Buck. Let me ask you the importance um, that Mac Brown brought in guys that had a tie to North Carolina, because I think we'll all we'll all agree that Carolina and Chapel Hill specifically is a little different than a lot of places. Um, and you know, you mentioned Kingsbury. Well, if he comes and then he leaves and goes to a pro coach coaching a career right away without ever, you know, coaching a down at North Carolina, that would have set this staff um, back in a bad way. But Brown hires a Brewster, like Greg mentions, and it just sort of rolls from there. So, Buck, I ask the importance of hiring guys um, that have a tie to Chapel Hill, and there's a lot of them. And um, I think from a fan standpoint, if you ask the everyday football fan, that is probably what's gotten them uh, the most excited uh, because I'd wager that most Carolina fans don't know these other guys, you know, more than what they've read um, on the message boards or in you know, newspaper articles or whatever. But your thoughts on that side of the staff, Buck? Yeah, I think that's really important. I, th- I think having somebody – there that's familiar with the environment, was familiar with the town, uh, knows, you know, how Chapel Hill works, how uh, University of North Carolina works, is familiar with all of that. And the people that work there, the support staff people, many of them have been there over several administrations. So, yes, that's very important. It can, well, put it another way, it, it's not a guarantee you're not going to lose one of those guys. Uh, Tommy Thigpen, for example, um, he left, uh, he had a job at UNC, um, got an offer to go elsewhere and left. I think there was a little bit of conflict there between him and John Blake. And, um, he got out of town, um, at probably at the exact right time, but, uh, it's not a guarantee and you, and you want guys to do well in their career, right? I mean, if somebody is a, a take, for example, Dre Bly, you know, he, he may be at UNC for the entire time that Mac Brown is a head coach or beyond. And at a certain point in time, maybe somebody, you know, says, Hey, I want this guy to be my defensive coordinator and, and pay him a million dollars a year. Hey, you want Dre to make that move, right? I mean, uh, so you want guys that, yes, you want guys that have a, a little bit of light blue blood in them and, uh, have that connection, that uh, family connection. And that's something that I think uh, needs to be nurtured at Chapel Hill. You know, you, we hear about guys that, uh, you know, played for Bunning and played for Dooley or played for whoever. And, you know, there's sort of a, uh, almost a, uh, a tension there between uh, guys that were recruited under one regime and those recruited under another regime. And uh, I'd, I'd like to see that kind of uh, 
go away to a certain extent and everybody start feeling like part of the, the Carolina family and being together and feeling welcome at practice and, and all those sorts of things. Um, I just think it's better for, for there to be a UNC family feeling as opposed to, well, I was a butch guy or I was a, you know, a fedora guy and I don't like you because blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think that kind of needs to go away to the extent that it can. So, uh, it's always great, uh, to have those guys. And I think, um, having AJ blue, I hate to keep bringing him up, but you know, he bridges that gap a little bit. Um, you know, he was around, uh, during the butch years and, um, then he was there during the fedora years, uh, for a while. Uh, so, you know, he, he's kind of, um, could connect with both groups. So, uh, that, that's what I see as an importance really, when you get to talking about bringing in guys, uh, that have a, you know, former players to be on the staff. And I do think it, it helps also to get the fans more excited. Mike, I mean, that's in your wheelhouse. And you've talked about uh, the family atmosphere around the football program or not. On these podcasts before, we, there's a thread on the message board uh, that somebody posted talking about maybe an issue some former players had um, in the not too um, far off past trying to get you know access or, or tickets or whatever. So you tell me, I mean, does Mac Brown – I don't, I don't want to say cure all those ills or issues, but do you think Mac Brown and, and the staff he's putting together and having these guys, do you think that will uh, fix it or, and make it more of that family Carolina atmosphere, um, similar maybe to the basketball program without um, going overboard there? But your thoughts on Buck's point, because I think it's a pretty big deal, especially in Chapel Hill. Well, the good news is that Mac understands the need for that, right? He understands the need to have that alumni uh, engagement with the program. And simply understanding that it's necessary is the first step to making it happen. And if anybody's going to make it happen, it's Mac Brown. I mean, everybody, I haven't had a chance to meet him personally. He did like one of my tweets the other day. Uh, I'll go. I, I, so we're obviously clearly best friends now, right? But it started. It I started. <laughs> The love affair started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I but I haven't, in, in, in all seriousness, I haven't had a chance to meet Mac yet, and I hope I will soon because everybody that I know who has had a chance to meet him that didn't play for him, that didn't know him uh, before he took this this round at Carolina, this job, um, everyone I know that's met him has has loved the guy. Um, he, he, you feel like you've known him your whole life. Uh, he makes you feel welcome. He's he's polite and engaging and He's all the things that you think he would be just from watching press conferences and, and interviews and things like that. He's just a very warm and, 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 and welcoming person, at least to uh, former players and alumni. And that's a big deal because there is a rift. There is a division like Buck identified. You know, we do have, and it's likely a result of having so many coaches and so much uh, staff turnover over the years that there is a, um, a, there, there, there's there, there's a rift between the different eras of Carolina football. There are guys who refer to themselves, I'm in this camp, right, as butch guys. There are, you know, and I, and I was recruited by Bunning, and there's 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 the players that transitioned into both, um, you know, between those two staffs, as you know, as as there always is with a coaching change. But there's bunting guys, there's dually guys, uh, there there's there's crumb guys, there's Torbush guys, there's there's Mac guys from the first go around. Um, then there's, and there's obviously fedora guys and, and, and the, the shame of it is that a lot of us sort of identify with the era that we were, uh, a part of at Carolina because there just hasn't been enough consistency. Well, what Mac does is he sort of bridges that gap. You know, there's the, there's the gap between when Mac left the first time. So when he was here and then he left and now he's back, it's almost like, well, now we actually have some continuity. It's almost like we were all waiting for Mac to ultimately come back. I know that sounds strange, but from an alumni perspective, there seems to be a little um, a, 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 a gap that has been bridged by Mac taking this job now. And I think the, um, I, th I think the divisions that are there are slowly being fixed. And with alumni engagement can be repaired. Um, the, the cliche, the, the typical 
case study is the University of Miami, right, in terms of openness for allowing players to come back and be a part of the program. Um, Miami has been the the poster child for that, and they had success for years and years and years. I, I would say partly because of that, um, because players, current players, got to see the the older uh, successful players, the guys that went on to the NFL, went on to the Hall of Fame, things like that. The guys that were stars at Miami, uh, the name recognition, they saw those guys in person. Um, you know, we haven't had the benefit of seeing Julius Peppers a whole lot. Um, I saw Pep at the LSU game. Lawrence Taylor uh, has been back one time. That was the Florida State game Thursday night in 2009. Um, These are Hall of Fame football players that we have that have come through the pipeline at Carolina, and they they haven't been back for either personal reasons or they haven't felt welcome. Um, I know that's been the issue with a lot of guys in recent memory, um, sort of a no-room-at-the-inn vibe. And I think Mac recognizes that. He understands that. And if he hasn't been told that directly from players yet, I'm sure he will. Um, and if, and if he hears that, if he hasn't already, I'm sure that will spark something in him to start repairing those divisions. And I, and I think Max, the guy to do it. So I, I hope that the problem gets fixed. I hope there's a little more, um, uh, I hope we feel a little more invited to go back to the building that we all spent so many years of our life in our formative years. Um, because right now I can tell you for the last few years, and it's not Fedora's fault. It's an administrative issue. Um, administration made it feel like we weren't welcome back if we were part of of a specific era here at Carolina. Interesting stuff, Mike. I've heard it from you. I've heard it from others. Um, I've read about it. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Matt Brown sort of erases that negative chapter of Carolina football. I'm going to take a short break, come back, get some Greg Barnes action in this podcast. We'll be right back. Greg, you've been on this, covering this coaching staff and how it's been built uh, as it's, you know, as Mac was hired, Brewster, like you mentioned, right away, pretty much a no-brainer. But the process of getting to where we are now, that he's at 9, 10, probably very soon, the A.J. Blue retention in there, uh, the overall process. I mean, it's not the first coaching change you've covered. Um, Your thoughts on how it's been handled you know, without going too in depth on the Greg Robinson deal and all that, but it's not been as seamless and perfect as it may seem to some if they're not following as closely. And you've certainly been in the middle of it reporting on it since day one. Yeah. And I think we, we are fortunate in that we do have good Intel. We've, we've probably covered some things that uh, a lot of other coaching searches you, you wouldn't learn about. Um, and so we were able to, to find out about the Greg Robinson situation. And, you know, it is what it is. And if you look at, uh, you know, we were able to report earlier this week that Scott Boone um, is a veteran guy who's going to come in as a defensive assistant and likely as the special teams coordinator. And he kind of falls in that same boat as a, as a Greg Robinson type in that when you look at kind of how this started with knowing that Dre Bly is probably going to be a guy, knowing that Tommy Thigpen's adding that uh, co-DC title, and maybe that's something that's, while it is used to entice him to stay, uh, it also allows him some some room for growth. And so you need a veteran experienced guy there to kind of help. And I think that's one of the things that, that Boone will be able to provide. And really the the unique thing to me in watching how Mac has, has built this we always we always talk about okay, you know, Larry Fedora's offensive coach. He's going to build his offensive staff exactly how he wants it. Then he's going to hire you know, like when he hired Gene Chizik, and basically he told Gene, "You hire the guys you want to hire. You know, you you take care of that side of the ball, and we'll roll with it." Well, Mac's not that guy. Mac is the CEO type that we've always talked about, kind of how Butch was, and so he's looking at it as okay, what coaches do I want on staff? And then we can kind of go from there. And so it was very interesting to me that uh, your Brewster, you know, no question that he's coming on, right? And then you got Thigpen. I don't think there's any question Dre Bly was going to join the staff. Uh, and then and Brewster's got ties to Tim Cross. Uh, that was probably a big part of why Tim Cross probably joined the staff. And then Robert Gillespie, of course, has already stayed. Uh, he, he's already already here. Uh, Mac knew about Lonnie Galloway. So he's putting all these guys into place before he's got the coordinator positions 
finalized. And that, to me, is a very unique approach. It's not saying, okay, offensive coordinator, this is important because now you get to hire the guy as you want. It's Max fingerprints all over the staff. And I think the primary reason for that is he understands the value of recruiting. That's what he does better than anything. And so it was really a matter of getting the guys that can get the players on campus and then make sure the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator have enough key pieces there that they can tinker and adjust and, and be able to uh, compete at a very high level. You know, that was, I've talked about this time and time again over the years, but Butch Davis uh, never really got why people were upset with John Shute because the way Butch said it, you know, once we get enough studs in here, we're going to be scoring a ton of points doing exactly what we're doing now. We just don't have the talent to score points with this current offense. And so that's kind of a, a similar approach in terms of you know, get guys in here that can recruit. Uh, and then once you have those studs, the coordinator's job become that much easier. So that's been a unique way. Whereas maybe I thought that it would be, uh, it would make a little bit more sense to let the coordinators have more input, but, but clearly Mac knows what he's doing and this is kind of how he wanted to approach it. Buck, that's an interesting take. It, it, and what I see, and we can talk about the, the guys that are, are not Carolina guys, but everybody seems to have a tie to somebody on the staff, but your thoughts on what Greg's talking about, how the, Staff was built and then the coordinators put in place. Uh, that is different. It is unique the way Mac put the staff together. And I'm not even sure that that Butch Davis went to the links uh, that uh, Mac has gone to in order to select the specific people that he wanted on the staff at at positions before even the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator were hired. And it, that is a little bit unique. It was a unique set of circumstances as well. Uh, if you think about it, uh, they were both in different positions than, for example, Larry Fedora was. Uh, Larry Fedora was uh, coaching a team <clears throat> at the time he was hired and you know, even went to, I guess, Hawaii to a bowl game there uh, before he even settled into Chapel Hill. And both Butch and Mac Brown were free agents, you know, when they came here. And also both of them had extensive contacts and a network of uh, people that they had dealt with in the past and knew and probably even had a short list before they, you know, the wheels touched down on their uh, chartered flight to Chapel Hill. Of, of people that they were going to reach out to first and, and, tr- and engage their interest and move on to the next guy. So the way the staff was put together was certainly different. Uh, I do think that it was interesting that Mac Brown had a specific type of offense he wanted to run. And so his list was restricted to those guys, Kingsbury, Graham Harrell, Phil Longo, all those guys that run an air raid offense. That's what he wanted. That's what he sees as the future of uh, the offense he wants to run at UNC. And, and so that's the guys he went after. Um, some of the guys on the staff fit into that mode. Lonnie Galloway, the wide receiver coach, uh, falls into that. Um, they knew Lonnie Galloway, uh, the Carolina staff or support people there. Um, and like Tommy Thigpen knew Lonnie Galloway pretty well because um, he run in, ran into him all the time recruiting football players. And Galloway had the reputation of a guy you didn't want to recruit against. And and so that's, that's what made him of interest. And they built it, um, as Greg said, with an eye on, let's get some guys that can bring some warm bodies in here that can ball. And, and then we'll figure the rest of it out uh, with our coordinators. Not everybody has to be um, a uh, super genius you know, chalkboard X and O guru. Uh, we need guys that are at, competent at their coaching their position, but you know, not all of them have to be you know, Nick Saban uh, in terms of you know, getting on a chalkboard and, and laying out some uh, complicated design of offense or defense. So, you know, I kind of agree with Greg on pretty much everything he said. Um, but I, I think Mac went into it with very specific ideas of the, the kind of offense and defense he wanted and then targeted specific people to to run that. 
and as well as getting the best recruiters that he could. Mike, let me come to you and ask about the coaching versus recruiting question. And, you know, Buck mentioned Galloway, and we've talked about Gillespie. A potential OL coach, Stacy Cyril's out of Miami, um, that, of course, has ties to Mac from Texas. Uh, but, but your opinion on, you know, sort of the chicken or the egg type thing, of course you need both. I get that. But can you have a staff full of recruiters and they sort of do it themselves? Or do you need a mixture of high-level recruiters and high-level coaches um, to sort of put it all together? I, I think there's a line somewhere in there. Do you think Mac Brown has met that thus far with this staff? I think he has. There's a lot of football knowledge on this staff, but you know the the conversation as we've turned it here is 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 an interesting one. It, Mac did build from the position coaches up, and he built from a recruiting base up. And one point that I think we you know is is worth mentioning is that a thought process Mac may have had, or whether it was conscious or or maybe inadvertent, may have been that listen, some of these hires don't necessarily have to be permanent. Um, I think of a guy like Steve Hagen, right? When in 2007, Steve was our tight ends coach. He was here for a year and he went to coach the Browns. But what he did in that one year was he pro- he provided, number one, some stability at, for the tight end position group. And number two, he provided recruiting clout, right? Steve came from the NFL. He was here for a year. He went back to the NFL. Um, Chuck Pagano was another guy, um, Was you know came from came from the NFL, was here for a couple of years, went back to the NFL. What he did was was he was able to recruit, though, both you know guys like that were able to recruit for a couple of years, I think with the understanding that they wouldn't be here permanently, um, but they were going to help Butch out, right, uh, get some bodies in here that could really play, get, get some talented kids recruited, get them in here, help Butch create a foundation. And then once they had done that and fulfilled that obligation – to the you know to the person or persons that hired them you know then they were free to move on and they did that um, and I I would say that we might we most likely have a couple of those guys on this staff we don't know who they are right now um, or who they're going to flesh out to be but I'd be willing to say you have one or two guys that are here to provide a foundation of talent in this first and second recruiting class um, that Matt can work with moving forward and then they're sort of free to go and do whatever they want. Their purpose is to provide that foundation. So I would say that you've got the staff made up of guys like that, right? But you also have some pretty significant, right? You got some pretty significant football minds, right? You got Bateman, you got Longo. Those guys can coach. And to get to your original question, you need a mixture because you need to be able to get that talent in the door. And then you have to actually be able to to develop it. And for as much as I think of Larry Fedora as a person, right, and and honestly what I think of him as a football coach, I think he's a great football mind. The one thing, the one criticism that I always had of him, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, was that the guys came in and then they left four or five years later and they didn't improve very much. They were sort of the same player when they left as they were when they came in the door. You have to be able to develop players in college. Um, if you can bring them in and they're highly talented to begin with, Right, and you can make them just a little bit better. Well, your team is going to be—it's—it's it's going to skyrocket in terms of production and wins. Um, and I think that's the plan that that Mac has. So you need those guys that'll uh, coaches that'll bring in uh, your high talented, your your highly talented recruits, hired guns almost. Uh, if you want to, you know, like a, like a Steve Hagen or a Chuck Pagano, and um, and then you have to have guys like, for example, Sam Pittman, that are f- great recruiters but phenomenal football coaches, technicians, teachers that can develop those players and make them better, and they leave school better than they were when they came in. Short break, come back. More on the topic. Mike Brown and his coaching staff will be right back. Greg, when we look at Jay Bateman, I think the the first thing people always said about him is, you know, he didn't have the talent in the Army, but he did wondrous things on defense. And imagine what he can do when the talent level comes in. And so you have Bateman in that regard. And then you have a guy, you know, Thigpen or even Mac Brown that can recruit, 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 and then uh, get by with the best players. And it may or may not be fair, but it's setting up my point is, is that mixture, Greg. It, is, it, it seems to me that Mac has gotten it as good as he can get it, at least winning the offseason 
bringing in guys with a mixture of both. Now it remains to be seen how it all plays out, but certainly trending in a good direction. Yeah, I think so. And I think there are spots on the staff where you look at it and you're like, eh, was was that the best hire? I mean, like you know, Tim Cross, for example, um, his resume is not one that is you know overly impressive. And you know, Scott Boone, other than the fact that that he's a long term veteran. Uh, he's not necessarily a guy that you say, wow, this is a huge get. But like you said, when you kind of piece it all together, uh, you know, Boone can help Bateman because Boone's seen a lot. Cross has seen a lot. Uh, you know, Cross can help Dre Bly with a lot of the uh, coaching aspects. So can Boone. And so there's a lot of that staff dynamic uh, that you can't really – see right now that that's a chemistry thing that has to build maybe it doesn't work right but i think on the surface you look at these things and it makes sense that, that was the whole thing like with the the greg robinson deal is you you see it and you're like what but when you actually kind of start thinking about what was matt trying to do it was well he's gonna have dre blah who's you know, coaching college ball first time in his career you've got thick pen in this co-defensive coordinator role he doesn't have a lot of experience in that role so you need a, a guy to help those those players or those coaches and so you can kind of see what he was trying to do and i think when you look at the staff as a whole you do kind of see those elements uh and so i think i think it is a very a good uh group you know it's not loaded with the stud coaches or, or all stud recruiters uh but there's there, like you said there's there's a good mix and i think that's a very good starting point um, and then we'll have to see exactly how it comes together. Buck, reading the message boards, you hear about people being hired, um, and I'm not going to call specific names, but you know, Mac makes a staff hire, and people say, what the hell is he thinking? Or Mac makes a staff hire, and people say, oh, that's a home run. How do you determine that when you're looking, when you personally are looking at staff hires, this staff, uh, and say, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. You know, I see guys that appear to be nomads, and that makes me a little nervous. But to Mike's point, those guys serve their purpose wherever they go, and then they move on. Buck, how have you approached it when you're, you know, looking at these hires thinking yay or nay? I, You know, I think a lot goes into that, um, Tommy, to be honest. Um, when I'm When I'm looking at a specific, you know, somebody will get maybe – you know, uh, as Greg said, we got real good information throughout the search. And um, so, you know, we would have a list of maybe three or four names of guys. And, and I would start digging into it a little bit. Greg would start digging into it a little bit. We'd all kind of put our heads together. And if people were paying attention, if we didn't scoop the hire, then within minutes of a, a hire being announced elsewhere, we had a full-blown, you know, article up about it because we had been doing the work ahead of time, uh, putting together the, the, these kinds of things. The The resume that you get off a uh, coaching bio um, sometimes is very instructive, sometimes not so much. Um, you know, I think one of the things I always look at is what coaches have hired this guy in the past. You know, if, if, if I look at a resume and, you know, I see um, that this guy has been hired by, say, um, you know, Mark Rick or uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a superstar coach or Urban Meyer or uh, you, you throw out a name. Uh, if I, they've been hired by somebody that's been very successful then and they've been there for a couple of years and they left – on their own free will to go someplace else. So, uh, you know, I want to look and see is who, who is, who has put their faith in this guy before and how good is that coach at evaluating talent? That's one of the things I'll look at on a resume. Um, and, and to Mike's point, uh, I kind of want to look at what players has this guy specifically developed at his position and have they, you know, put people in the NFL? Um, have they been uh, successful in developing players, which was Mike's earlier point? Um, those kinds of things is what I'm kind of focusing on. What's their, what's their coaching tree? What's their track record at producing good players? 
those kinds of things. But beyond looking at the resume, uh, I think you have to dig a little deeper than that. And, you know, if it's somebody that's coming from a coaching staff and from a P5 college and they've been there for a couple of years, then they were hired and they were fired. There were articles about them. There's probably a YouTube video or so about them. They may have led a coaching clinic, gotten to the chalkboard and talked about that, those kinds of things. And, and while we were talking just now, Tommy, um, we just got confirmation that uh, Stacy Sorrells is uh, going to be the new offensive line coach. And by the time you hear this, you'll probably read an article by me tomorrow morning talking about uh, Sorrells. So we've got official confirmation on it now. I think Tommy mentioned his name earlier, but uh, we can officially, unofficially, for uh, Inside Carolina, say that uh, Sorrells will be the new offensive line coach. And I also think maybe Mike has a little bit of information about Sorrells that he might want to share. I think he knows about him to some extent, knows him from through some connection. Yeah, so he's um, – I mean, Stacy is one of those guys that everything you just mentioned about what you look at when you evaluate uh, a, a coach, where they have where they have coached, who has hired them, what experience they have. One of the things that I look at too is, you know, were you – not just your coaching experience, but were you a player? Um, where did you play? So, that matters sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, one thing that I like to see, particularly as an offensive lineman, right – uh, I like to see offensive line coaches that either played offensive line or defensive line. I have a philosophy that a lot, a lot of the time, your best position coaches are the ones that can teach their players in the negative, um, meaning they are a wide receivers coach that actually played corner, right? And you can he can teach his guys what will beat corners. So not necessarily um, you know, how to be a better wide receiver, but how to beat a defensive player, um, and vice versa. So that's that's teaching in the negative versus teaching in the affirmative. Um, here's your technique. Here's what I think will work. If you do this, you will be successful. Um, teaching in the negative, I think, is 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 a big plus for coaches. So if I see a coach that is um, coaching basically the complementary position on the other side of the ball to what he played, uh, that's a plus for me. I I I, I tick that off. Um, if if they if they were a player themselves, you know what types of accolades did they have? Did they play themselves in the NFL? And then obviously, what players during their coaching career have they developed and have they sent on? And Stacy is one of those one of those coaches. He's um, he's a journeyman. Um, he was an all uh, he was an all SEC player at Auburn uh, when he was in college, um, and he has coached at some pretty serious programs. Um, he's coached at. Uh, uh, LSU, Georgia, uh, Vatek, Miami most recently, um, and he also coached at Texas. Um, so he has a Mac Brown connection um, coaching for Mac um, while, um, while Mac was at Texas. So he's an accomplished coach in terms of the people that have, that have hired him and expected him, um, expected him to, to lead their offensive lines. And I think – uh, you know, when you see Mac hiring guys that he is familiar with, they're not buddy hires. So guys that he's coached with before, um, people like Dre Bly, who he has played or have played for him. These aren't buddy hires. They're not uh, scratch my back. I'll scratch yours by giving you a job. I'm going to help you out because you're my friend. What it is, is Mac knows what he's getting from these guys. They're known entities. Stacy Searles is a known entity to Mac Brown. He knows what he's going to teach his guys. He knows how Stacy is going to interact with other coaches on his staff, what his demeanor is like in staff meetings, whether Stacy can push Mac's message and whether he will put uh, Mac's message to his players and, uh, and, and, and support Mac Brown. Um, that, that's a big thing. Uh, I've been on, I've been on teams where there's been uh, divisiveness within the coaching staff and dissension in the ranks where the position coaches seem to be against the head coach. That, trickles down to the players and that's not good. Mac knows the guys he's hiring um, aren't going to do things like that because they've worked for him before, or they've worked for people that he knows or have played for Mac specifically like Dre Bly. So I think Stacy is a, is, is a good hire. Um, he's been successful where he's been. Um, he's, he's, he wouldn't be hired by these programs um, that he's been hired by if he didn't know what he was doing. So 
Uh, I think Carolina, the Carolina offensive line is in a good hand is in good hands now. Um, to be honest with you, I think that they are in better hands than they were before. Um, you know, the the original offensive line coach that we hired uh, from Texas Tech, I I wasn't too big on. I'm much more excited about Stacy coming in and coaching our offensive line. Um, so again, this is sort of a Cliff Kingsbury situation. Um, whereas one thing fell through and it looked like it wasn't. Um, uh, it may have been a negative. I think it has now turned into a an unexpected positive for Mac Brown. Good stuff in that regard. If folks are on the Tar Pit Premium message boards this time of night uh, while we're recording this podcast, a lot of good stuff coming through. Greg, let me ask you as far as, you know, we've talked about player development here, you know, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking if I recruit a four or five star player, I don't have to screw him up um, for him to be a next level guy, or do I? You know, where's the line there as far as development of players? If, you know, we watched the national championship game on Monday night, I think what, uh, 18 or uh, there are 44, I believe they said something like 44 starters out there, offensive and defense, both teams, 34 of them were four or five stars. And, the majority of those will play in the NFL. So, so what is player development? How do you get that um, when you look at what these players or what these coaches have put on the next level? How do you quantify that? Well, I think there's, there's different levels of this, right? I mean, if you look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you look at a guy like Christian Wilkins, I mean, both of those guys are, are top 25 guys nationally coming out of high school. Uh, Lawrence could probably be the top five pick now. He might be number one if he could come out as a freshman. Wilkins you know, would have been a first-rounder last year had he come out. And so when you're talking about the elite of the elite, which both Clemson and Alabama have hordes of, uh, there's not a whole lot you have to do as a coaching staff. Just, just kind of keep them on the tracks, make sure they don't screw up and uh, keep them healthy and those kind of things. But I think there's there are – you know, when you get maybe outside the top 100, maybe outside the top 50, uh, but there's a lot of very talented guys that need to be developed, but there's not there's not a lot of work necessarily has to be done. You have to coach them up, have to make sure you know, the strength and conditioning program is good, and all those kind of things. And then from there, it's it's making sure that they have the support system they need to practice as hard as they can and to do all the things they have to do away from from practice and those are that's you know where aj blue and, and has come into play right i mean because those guys as, as we've talked about have so much access throughout the course of the year um and so it's really when you get into the, the diamonds and the rough the guys that are very raw you, you have to do a great job with those guys fine-tuning them and, and coaching them up for those guys to eventually be able to help you and that's why it's such a big deal when you have those types of guys, the guys that are maybe like a, a two-star that looks like they have a ton of potential. I mean, like, uh, what was his name? Uh, Cleef Mitchell, You're right, yep. 10, 15 years ago. I mean, that dude had a ton of potential, but he was incredibly raw. Uh, and so you could see the potential, but you've, nobody was really ever able to kind of get it fine-tuned. So the better talent you have, the less you have to be perfect. And so that's kind of the, the margin of error there. And that's that's the key with getting these top 300 guys is if you can get enough of them, uh, everything else becomes so much easier. And so you know, the coaches that can take the the diamonds in the rough and, and have a lot of success, you know, credit to them. But more than anything, I think what you see there is they're just very good evaluators. And there's a lot of kids that fall through the cracks. And so it's not like they're taking like a – legitimate two-star you know who everybody saw yeah he's he's not any good and made him into some great player it's guys that you you play at very small schools are not not able to attend some of these uh you know national events are not able to attend camps maybe they get hurt but yet they're very good and and so certain coaches are able to get them uh kind of under the radar and that's that's really really where you see this so you the the elite guys you just kind of make sure they don't mess up and the other guys, it's a matter of having that good support system in place and then letting their talents take over. Let me take my third and final commercial break. We'll be right back. Buck, we, as, as we sort of start winding down this podcast, 
um, I referenced the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. If you're listening to this podcast on uh, Thursday morning, you need to be checking out the message boards. A lot of good stuff there. And that being said, Buck, let me ask you about maybe guys that aren't officially on the staff, the 10 coach limit, Mike Brown included there, but guys maybe that Mike brings in um, as analysts or whatever you want to call them. You know, Alabama's got umpteen uh, dozen coaches. You know, I think I saw Butch Jones on the Alabama sidelines during the national championship game. But what do you think about how Mike Brown may be building that and how important is that in this day and age to have you know, more eyeballs, more experienced eyeballs looking at things and helping the program? Well, it, it has certainly worked uh, well for, you know, like Alabama, as you mentioned. Um, they have uh, almost a uh, bench of uh, former uh, Power Five coordinators working as analysts. And uh, when one guy leaves, the other one um, steps up into that role. That happened last year. I don't know that it worked out exactly the way. Well, uh, uh, this complaint comes more from Alabama fans than does anybody else. But, uh, for example, they had Mike Loxley on the staff the year before. um, And uh, when their offensive coordinator left, um, they just – move Loxley up into that position. Some people complain about that. They didn't think Loxley did that great, but Alabama had a terrific year offensively, and they were like, I don't know, in the top five at least, maybe number one in terms of offensive scoring. Um, I think they finished fourth maybe in the nation in terms of uh, scoring on offense. So he didn't do that badly, and he parlayed it into a head coaching job um, this year. So – uh, how Mac is going to approach that, I'm not really sure. I do know that uh, the name that we've uh, bandied about a few times on this podcast, Greg Robinson, was an analyst on uh, Mac's staff at Texas for a while and stepped up um, in the defensive coordinator role when I think um, BYU or Boise State, one of those teams, dropped a half hundred on Texas, and Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator. and. Uh, um, so he promoted Greg Robinson off the bench and fired Manny Diaz. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that happening. Um, you know, once all the dust settles, you know, once the, the final national signing day uh, takes place, you're going to see a lot more staff changes because coaches like to hang on to their staff until that final signing period in case they have a big recruit they have a relationship with that they don't want to jeopardize so um who mike might bring in as an offensive analyst you know is probably unknown uh at this point but it wouldn't surprise me because you know he's has a ton of contacts and if there's somebody out there that you know can take a year and be an analyst at a low salary and um you know uh, help mac out in that regard they can break down film they can help with game preparation. Um, you know, they can do a, a lot of different things. They just can't coach on the field. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that happens. I think we have had the hint of a, at least one big name that might join um, Mac staff. I, we're not prepared to release that name just yet uh, because it may not happen, but, um, and we wouldn't want to you know, put out any false information, but, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see one or two big names join Mac, um, you know, as an analyst in the off season. We'll just have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, the the other thing to think about with this is Mac, as Buck alluded to or Buck mentioned, he's had all these ties from years. I mean, right? He's he's sixty seven. He'll be sixty eight when North Carolina has his first game next fall. So he's been around and he's he's coached with a lot of people. He's met a lot of people. I mean, he's incredibly friendly. So you know, he's got friends all over the place. And those contacts are valuable because this day and time is completely different than it was 30 years ago. And that in terms of film, there's so much. The volume is incredible. And so you could pay a guy that's been coaching for 35 years at the Division One level and send him a CD. You can upload it to his iPad, and he can sit at home and watch if he wants to. 
and he can pinpoint things and say, hey, you know, I don't know if you notice this, but this safety's doing this on this particular play. And Jay Bateman, wow, you know, I, I didn't catch that one little detail on that one particular play. Thank you. That's beneficial. And so the ability to use film to their advantage is such a, a critical component. And then the other aspect, we were talking earlier about how this staff was set up with such an emphasis on recruiting. Well, when you've got some of these guys that can come in and help, uh, that that further aids the coordinators, right? So you don't necessarily need all your position coaches, as as Buck said, to be these guys that are you know, all X's and O's, right? I mean, they need to be good coaches, good position coaches for sure. They need to understand what's going on. We're not saying that. But they don't have to be like kind of how Larry Fedora was, where you know, he'd get the whole staff together during the week and they would lay out everything. They, they were responsible for every single detail. You know, when you're able to bring in consultants who are very smart and who know the game, uh, that takes some pressure off maybe the, the assistant coaches that are needed to be able to go and recruit. And uh, you, when you talk about you know, Kirby Smart, I think it's a good example, and, and Dabo talked about this uh, this past week. When he took the Clemson job, and Kirby said this when he took the, the Georgia job, what they looked at was how Nick Saban was recruiting at Alabama. And it wasn't just the coaching staff that did all the work. It was the guys behind the scenes. It was the consultants. Um, it was all the interns. It was all these different elements making it so much easier for those assistant coaches to go out and recruit and get these elite players. And so beyond just the consultants and beyond the analysts of, of game film and strategy, I'm very curious to see how exactly Mac constructs this recruiting dynamic because it is a very unique place, like you said, Tommy, to, to coach and to play at North Carolina. It's just a unique thing. It's, it's not an SEC school. Um, it's, it's got high academic standards. There's a lot that goes into play uh, with, with coaching and having success at North Carolina. Mac's been here before. He's done it. He understands it. And so, you know, how he embraces that, that component of, hey, we're not just going to be a staff of, of 10 uh, out recruiting. We've got to make sure we have enough support system in place, support staff in place, that we can really capitalize and make things so much easier for our guys that actually can get on the road. And so just watching how all those components play out and, and build out over the next, you know, really you know, six, seven months is going to be fascinating. It, it is fascinating. It's, it's fascinating to me that people think facilities are what uh, Carolina needs to upgrade the most, and certainly they've done that with the indoor deal. But Carolina needed to upgrade uh, the that portion of the staff that we're talking about here. All you know, ten coaches, yes, but everything else that goes into college football these days—that Alabama, that Clemson, that all the big schools that are successful get—and they do. Carolina need to get um, on par with that. And I think they've certainly made progress in doing that. We'll see how it plays out. But all right, last question. And we lost Mike Ingersoll, had to let him go. It's his birthday. So if you see Mike, give him a shout out. Happy birthday. Um, sing happy birthday to you. Probably like that. But Buck and Greg, but start with you, Buck. Let's, if we had to give a grade as to how Mac Brown's done in your eyes, you don't necessarily have to give an A, B, or C, or whatever. Uh, but your overall thought on that, with what Mac Brown's been able to do in the first uh, weeks on the job? Well, so far, I would say he's winning the off season. I'll put it that way. Um, and you know, we hadn't talked about this. We've mentioned his name, but a recent commit, four-star safety out of Charlotte. Cameron Sinclair, a big recruit next year um, for the 2020 class. Uh, he just committed to, to UNC this week. And, and one of the names he mentioned was Dre Bly. And Greg and I and Don, a bunch of other people have talked about this. And we just naturally assumed that Dre Bly, Dre Bly would be a natural recruiter and, and a guy that uh, prospects would gravitate too, because um, two-time consensus All-American at UNC uh, knows, uh, you know, played for Mac Brown and uh, won a Super Bowl, uh, got that ring on his finger. Uh, we just naturally figured that he would be a good fit as far as recruiting. And 
so far that's paid dividends it, it appears because a recruit in his interview article with don callahan specifically mentioned dre as a someone that impacted his decision so that aspect seems to be coming together i, I think they've done a overall good job the fact that the strength and conditioning coach got the um vote of confidence recommendation whatever you want to call it both from the offensive coordinator uh, Phil Longo, who worked with uh, Brian Hess at Sam Houston State, and Jay Bateman, who just came from Army and so was coaching up his guys uh, in the SEC room uh, last year. Bateman was thrilled to get Brian Hess. I think that's a real good fit for UNC because, you know, you can do whatever you want to in a weight room, but if it doesn't translate to how you play on the field, it doesn't much matter. And so, those guys know what they want from the guys in their room, and they know that Brian Hess will deliver that. I think that's a pretty key piece. So you add in the Tim Brewster piece and you know the other recruiting pieces like Lonnie Galloway and Robert Gillespie, Tommy Thigpen. Um, you know, overall, uh, I would say he's right now winning the offseason. Now, I, as far as giving a grade, I don't think that we can do that until like maybe. 2022 maybe we'll see but so far i would say he's winning the offseason yeah i think buck's exactly right with with the grade thing um i mean as i said earlier i think you can you can find some some questions some legitimate questions about parts of the staff um but you can also you make the case that a lot of this is going to work together very well and i think most importantly uh and this is kind of my mindset, and I think I think a lot of North Carolina fans probably had the same uh, question or same concern when the news broke that, that Mac Brown was going to be the head coach. Is we know Mac's older, we know he's been out of the game for for five years at least on the sidelines. So how is he going to approach the college game now? Because we know the last couple of years in Texas, things didn't really go very well, and he. He admitted that. I mean, basically, he had gotten run down and he kind of lost the joy. And you know, that happens and we see it happen all the time. But how do you respond to that? And what Mac was able to do, and this, this makes total sense, of course, but as he's doing uh, analyst work for ESPN over the last five years, he's going to all these places. He's talking to all these coaches and all these people and saying, okay, that's a very fun offense to watch. Their rate is fun. And so he's able to break it down and you think about it, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, all right, how would I stop that? You know, how could I make that better? And looking at all these different components. And so when he got hired, my concern was, okay, is, is he going to go safe? Is he going to play very conservative and go with the guys that he knows and do what he's done before and hope it all works? Maybe lean on you know, his old guys a little too much. And what, what we've seen uh, and, you know, position coaches don't really matter at this point in time. But what we've seen with his coordinator hires is that he went with Phil Longo. And if you look at what Longo did at Sam Houston State, it is phenomenal the numbers he put up. And, you know, he, he had two really good years in Mississippi. But still, I mean, that's his first couple of years at the Division One level. And so – there's a lot of potential there, and a lot of that air raids filtered into what, what Longo does. And so while that's a little bit of a risky hire, I think it's a fascinating hire. I think it's Max. And you know what? I think this type of offense is the future of football. And so he's rolling the dice that, hey, maybe Longo's the guy that can, can elevate us to where we want to be. And the same with Bateman. When you have offenses like the air raid, and what you're seeing with Kansas City and Pat Mahomes and all this going on in the NFL, Defenses have to figure out how to combat that. And so what better way to combat it than to get, get a guy in who's never had a lot of talent to work with, and he's got to be very creative, and he's had success doing it. And that's what you get with Jay Bateman. So I think in terms of his coordinator hires, um, I, I think he – for me, I think they're home runs. Um, you know, They may not pan out necessarily, and that doesn't mean you, these guys have uh, – have had long track records of, of tons of success, but in terms of kind of what they bring to the table, they're very forward thinking, very progressive. 
And I think that's what Mac needed. He needed to be able to step you forward, not rely so much on his past, but say, if this is a clean start, how do I think this game is moving? And he's trying to be on that cutting edge, and I, I think that was required. And when you combine that with his recruiting ability, I think the potential there is very strong. Great stuff, but Greg, it's always fun to talk. Special shout out to Mike Ingersoll for joining us. I mean, I, I think I, I do not know of a situation that Carolina could have done better than hire Mac Brown. Everything considered, fan base, program, all of that. Now, like Buck, you said, winning the off season's great. Um, have we, as we've seen at other schools in the conference, winning the off season doesn't get you anything except you know a preseason trophy. So there's a lot of work to be done. Buck and Greg will certainly talk about it a plenty. Probably be doing these same podcasts throughout the off season, especially when spring ball kicks up. But that'll do it for the night. Buck, Greg, thanks. Thank you, Tommy. Okay. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.